it's hard for me to hear it any other way. Like, I, I don't, I mean, what would else would it be? Like, your boss taking advantage of you? Like, that? why would you want a song about that? <laughs> yeah. Quit, like, this song? Quit your jo- yeah. job song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Minor Notes, the podcast where we share our thoughts about an album from top to bottom. No skips, and we give some minor notes. That's right. That is Kate Griffin. And that's Gabby Alvarez. Welcome. If you're new here, Gabby is a music business professional, and I'm a songwriter, and this entire second season of Minor Notes is dedicated to the discography of Foo Fighters. Yes, and we're going to be discussing the band's fifth album, In Your Honor, and we're joined by a special guest, Troy L. Smith, who's a pop music critic for Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Hi, Troy. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks for being here. Yeah. A few questions to start off. Are you a Foo fan? I am. How big of a Foo fan would you say you are? <laughs> um, it's kind of weird when you're a journalist. So, you know, I try to be objective. I'd give it like an eight. eight okay. Eight or nine. Yeah. That's a pretty big fan. That's a, that's a good scale. I like the system. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd try. I, but I would say Foo Fighters are probably one of the bands that have affected or, or been a part of my career uh, the most, if, ah. if not the most. Oh, okay. In what way? How do you how do you mean? Um, just, you know, because I'm a elder millennial, a millennial, um, they they've been, you know, popular my entire, you know, listening uh life for music. And then I'd say probably I've seen the Foo Fighters, I think, four times. I'd say three oh, wow. of those shows rank among like the ten my ten or five even favorite shows that I've ever wow. been to. They're really okay. special. They're really special shows. Okay, oh, cool. I've never seen them. Kate's seen them. I've seen them twice, but I haven't seen them for any of these albums yet. I'm waiting to announce when I saw them when we get to those albums. But they do put on a very, very good show. I will agree. It's an event. Yeah, Troy. What's your favorite Foo album? Probably the color and the shape. Okay, classic choice. Yeah, I will say that in your honor is probably the first Foo Fighters album that I encountered in the present. Mm. Like, anticipated it, got it when it came out. Mm. I, think I, I think I bootlegged it off of, like, LimeWire or something back right. in the day. But, um, <laughs> the good old days, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas every the other previous four albums um, were more me kind of in retrospect, visiting, you know, revisiting yeah, the Foo Fighters yeah, yeah. catalog. Got it. Yeah. Before we get into it, is there a history you want to get into on this album, Kate? Or should I just jump in? Yeah, there's a, a little bit of history. It's not so crazy. On our last episode, we talked about One by One, which we discussed was a pretty tumultuous time for the band. They thought they might break up. And then they pulled things together, recorded the album, and things seemed to be okay. They toured for about a year, year and a half. And then when that was over, Dave did not want to rush into recording another album right away. Uh, he took some time and he actually wrote an entire album's worth of acoustic songs. And he played them for the band. Uh, this was a complete 180 to one by one, the sound and the vibe and everything. And the band really liked it, and they thought about putting it out just as an acoustic album, but Dave was quoted as saying, I have to have loud rock music in my life somewhere. So what they decided to do was then continue writing their usual stuff, and they did a double release. So In Your Honor is a two-disc release. Disc one is the quote-unquote rock stuff. That's what they call it. And then disc two is the acoustic stuff. For this, they built a studio to record this album in Northbridge, California, and they named it Studio 606 West as a nod to Studio 606, which is in Grohl's basement in Virginia. And they had a pretty, a much better time with this album than before. It took about nine months to build and stock and finish like the whole studio and also record. They were recording as they were building the studio. So it was a really interesting time. And they actually recorded about 40 tracks. And so half of those songs made it to the two discs, 10 on disc one, 10 on disc two. Um, And they recorded the acoustic tracks first. But what happened was like they 
they had all the rock stuff written, recorded the acoustic stuff, decided they liked the acoustic stuff better. It was outshining the rock stuff. So they actually went back and re-recorded eight of the ten rock songs because they were like, we can't... This makes a lot of sense Yeah, they were like, listening to this we album. can't let the acoustic songs outshine the rock stuff. Like, we can't do that. So they had to go back and re-record about eight of them. And there was a little documentary I watched about the making of this, and Nate, he, he said something to the effect of, he felt that the vibe was very different for this because they really rehearsed these songs a lot together as opposed to the previous albums where they worked kind of piecemeal. And also they had a hand in building this studio. They literally were hammering in and putting up walls and stuff like that. So he said there was a vibe there where like we made this space together, we made music in this space. So they're all very happy with this. And the last note I have is that in that recording, both Dave and Taylor mentioned that they thought this was going to be the last Foo Fighters album. They were totally, there was just something in the air where they were like, we need to go big or go home because we don't think there's a future anymore. Like, this is going to be our swan song. This makes so much sense. Oh, okay. (laughs) Based on, just like, I I didn't read any of the background information. I did, like, the wiki of the album. Yes, yes. But not about that. That, it makes a lot of sense when we get into the tracks. Okay, okay. Situation. Okay. Okay, so In Your Honor was released June 14th, 2005 on Roswell Records via RCA Records. As Kate mentioned, this is a double album. On this episode, we're only listening to the first half of the album. Tracks 1 through 10. The first disc, which in parentheses I wrote, wow, CDs. Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Is heavier rock songs and the second is mellower acoustic songs. Uh, I read that Grohl decided to do a diverse blend of songs because he felt after 10 years of existence, the band had to break some new ground in their music. Mm. So maybe that was like why they went for the acoustic shit first. I don't know. Okay. The album features guests such as John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin, Nora Jones, and Josh Holm of Queens of the Stone Age. Though I believe all of those features are on the second disc. Yes, so I think so. So we're not going to get into any of those today. The lyrics deal with uh, some introspective themes and a major influence lyrically is Dave Grohl's involvement on the ca- campaign trail with John Kerry during the 2004 presidential election. Mm-hmm. The album was also nominated for five Grammy Awards and it talks the charts in five countries including australia and in your honor also broke the band's consecutive streak of grammy award for best rock album wins which began in 2001 with there is nothing left to lose so they didn't win they didn't win but they got five noms they got five noms wow i have thoughts on it but we have okay we'll get into it <laughs> i have thoughts, thoughts. On it. i have lots thoughts. of thoughts i will say at this time like you know looking back at this album and we talk about Dave saying that it's um, it was going to be their last album, and he didn't like one by one. He thought it was going to be a flop. It just, I feel like he, from this point on, for the next like four or five releases, it was always going to be the last thing. It was mm. always Foo Fighters reinventing mm. themselves. They spent basically it was like the whole two thousands was the Foo Fighters going through the motions creatively. Right, yeah. Trying to find some sort of motivation and new inspiration, uh, which ironically they found at the start of the 2010s, which you guys will obviously get to with uh, Wasting Light. But, you know, that was my – I started rolling my eyes. I watched that mini documentary on YouTube as well, if anybody wants to see it, on In Your Honor. And I just rolled my eyes probably like 40 times. um, (laughs) Because Dave said it's the best album they ever did. Yes. It is. Which he says about every album. (laughs) He does. He really I was going to say that. He really does say that. (laughs) Yeah. He said he wanted to be the Foo Fighters album that when when your parents or some of your kids, sorry, ask you, Dad, who's this band, Foo Fighters? What what album should I get? He said, in your honor. I just thought, what the hell? No. Yeah. No one's saying that. I caught that too. I caught that too. And I was kind of like, whatever, dude. But then I was thinking he's answering this in real time. Like he's working on it in that moment. So of course he's going to say, the thing I did right now is the best thing I've ever done. I think if you asked him now, he'd have a totally different answer. I'm sure he has a favorite and a least favorite. And this album should be near the bottom anyway. Oh, Um, Okay. Okay. All right. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So before we get into all the tracks, they are all produced by Nick Raskulinix. I think that's how we decided. Yes, that's how we've been saying it. Yeah. Uh, Nick, if that's wrong, uh, go with God. Yeah. Um, uh, They're all written by uh, the Foo Fighters, Chris Shiflett, Taylor Hawkins, Nate Mendel, and Dave Grohl. Okay. So all the credits are the same. Uh, So track one, In Your Honor, KG. In Your Honor. Okay, so my initial thoughts were, this feels huge. 
It feels like they were writing with the intent of playing a stadium. Into the melodic screaming, we've talked about how he's got this unique ability to do that. I really love the super chaotic metal punk ending. I was not expecting it. It was a really nice surprise. I think it's a fantastic opener, but it also kind of made me think of Doll off Color and the Shape. How Doll, I guess it's a song, but it's not like really a song song. And that's kind of how I felt about this. It, it, I guess it is a song, but to me, it's not like one of their typical arrangements from Foo Archive. As you mentioned, he was doing a lot of writing while he was on the campaign trail with um, Carrie. And this was just kind of about having a sense of devotion and belief towards something, which I thought was cool. And then in that mini documentary that Troy mentioned, um, Taylor says that in your honors for the fans. And so I really hear that when he's singing, like, I feel like they're singing to their fans. Troy, what do you think? I like the song, the Foo Fighters. I mean, they've always been, uh, good at album openers right like that's probably their thing yeah yeah fix. they are so it's a it's a great opener it's um it's got that you know i like that start that fake stop you know mm-hmm. fake ending mm-hmm. yeah right? and and I, I think dave said it's the hardest thing they've ever done in terms of sound mm-hmm. told the band i don't think that's true but, right um, right he said it I, I think it's a good opener. It's kind of funny to me. I remember thinking back to that album, and a lot of it when it came out was tied to this whole idea that Dave had been on the campaign trail with John Kerry mm-hmm. and even thought that the album was dedicated to John Kerry and all these tracks mm. were <laughs> inspired by John Kerry. But I just think that's I, I don't I don't make that attachment anymore. Um, I don't mm. think Kerry's that inspiring. He's not. Well, obviously he wasn't because yeah. I remember being in college, everyone's depressed that John Kerry uh, didn't win. Same, and the, same. The album comes out the year after, you know, the start of the next Bush term. Right. But this song, when I first heard it, I always thought it was about John Kerry, which I thought was stupid. But mm. now I look back and we'll get into this, but... I, I have this whole other feel for this first half of this album. Mm. And in your honor, it starts like sort of about this. Um, it's all, all these songs are anthems and it starts like this inspirational vibe. Yeah. It, I think it starts to morph something into something else. A couple songs in. Okay. Get to. But I do yeah. like this song. I really like this song. Okay. I, I really like this song as an opener. I felt like it checked a lot of boxes for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it was thrashy, but also melodic. And that's like one thing I really, really do love about Dave and the Foos and how they write is they really do combine elements that shouldn't really be together. So I really like that. Uh, but I did feel like the screaminess, it was it sounded kind of like screamy dreamy. Like he was like, kind of distorted. I was like, is this a Creed album? Like, what? Are oh, no. <laughs> I wrote, I'm afraid of where this album is going. Oh, wow. Wow. It does set it up to be a certain way. And kind of to Troy's point, I do feel like it goes away from that. So maybe, I don't know yes. if that's a good or a bad thing, though. Yeah, I, I mean, I knowing that the John Kerry thing and that a lot of the songs were kind of inspired at that time, like, I get it. Mm-hmm. But also, the note that you opened with, Kate, that they went back and fixed some songs. Yeah. I think uh, some of the tracks are trying too hard. Ah, I don't know if In Your Honor is maybe one one of those that I feel that about. I really do like it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think every track is trying too hard on on that first disc. Not not to, not that the results aren't good sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. Dave's deaf, I mean... I don't know how this man didn't lose his voice on the first three songs. Yeah. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just like anthemically screaming yeah. on almost every song. It's like, it's, why? Right. <laughs> why are we doing right. that? Um, all right. Track two, No Way Back. All right. So for No Way Back, something about the opening riff made me hear the Silver Sun pickups Lazy Eye which was released in 06 so it's after the fact but i encourage you both to go back and listen to the two of them because i was like i think i've heard this song in a different way so that that was just a weird thing i pulled out um i feel like with this track they're officially back to their signature sound which is listener friendly rock which i'm into i think each section the verse pre-chorus and chorus they're all super catchy and really well written on their own but they all work together 
you had mentioned the lyrics on this album, and I'm a big lyric person, Troy, and I feel like up until now, the lyrics have been like, okay. I do think they're significantly better on this album. One that I pulled from this song was, memory, mend me, know I've seen my share, things I can't repair, I'm breaking to you. And I just kind of thought that phrase was really beautiful, so I think he's kind of going to a different place. And then an interesting tidbit about this is um, the record company wanted it to be the first single, but Dave thought it sounded too much like the Foo Fighters. He said it this song is their signature sound which is the first note that i wrote down and he was afraid that releasing it right off the bat was too safe and too predictable oh boy dave rock stars uh, are so <laughs> just release the fucking single like I, what yeah most people like dave grohl uh-huh. and i i like dave grohl yeah but, you know it, especially in the the big foo fighters documentary um that came out a few years back He's very pretentious. Like this. Like first of all, every Foo Fighter song sounds too much like a Foo Fighter. Right. <laughs> right. 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 This song, No Way Back. I love it. But this album is front loaded. You know, if you, you could make the argument, the first four songs are the best four songs. Hundred percent. Argument. Hundred percent. I think this track, which I kind of took as being part of, you know, lyrics are about being part of a regime you know, sort of, so to speak, of, of being held back and held down by something you don't want to be a part of. Right. This this and the opener are the only two songs to me that really draw in the John Kerry inspiration to me, looking back on it I now. agree. It yeah. It starts to turn into an album about relationships, which we'll get to in the next song. But I like I like it. I mean, it, it as much as he says uh, he didn't want it to be the first single, like, you know, that, that's what people want to hear. They want to hear that out the gate, hard guitars, Dave yeah. screaming, and this fits the bill. It's another good Foo Fighters song. Yeah, I had the I had the same impression. Like this is what people want. If they don't want to hear yeah. Foo Fighters, then why are you making music? <laughs> he really wanted, absolutely. I, I think he wanted to go. I think I don't think he had the balls at that point to go solo because he mm. wrote a bunch of acoustic songs first, right? And he decided. You know what? I don't really want to do a uh, solo album, but I think that's where where his mind was going into this this album. That is a hot take. I like that. That I yeah, that it makes sense. Yeah, I think I I, I mean I'm echoing both of you. Like yeah, I thought this sounded. I was like okay, cool. We're back to classic foos. Like, yeah, I like it. I also wrote. I'm not surprised this album was inspired by the campaign trail. It sounds very try hard. Eek. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. You got it. Uh-oh. They just, they, they, some of the songs just sound unnatural. I agree. Like, very unnatural. So Look that's... the title, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just... No way out. No prete- way. Pretentious, <laughs> again. Exactly, like, yes. And I do, I I just finished um, Dave's memoir. Oh, good. And the, the back half of that memoir is just like, I can't believe that Elton John held my baby. I'm I know. I'm so grateful. <laughs> I can't believe Paul McCartney came to dinner at my house. It is a I'm little so bit. I'm so grateful. Yeah, it's a I little bit. I can't believe... What like I'm just like oh okay like what what is this like you're not even writing about your life anymore like right. you're just bragging it it gets a little braggy for sure I mean Isn't McCartney like teach his daughter how to play piano yes yeah. oh my god Violet's never gonna for, oh my god Joan Jet Joan Jet Barbie doll <laughs> my daughter like shut up I smoked weed with Joan Jet yeah <laughs> so ridiculous Joan Jet slept in my guest house like okay right <laughs> good for you. Um, all, all fair right. points. All fair points. Um, track three, The Best of You. Okay, Best of You was the first single. This was released May 30th, 2005. My confession is I think this song is super overrated. Uh, yeah. I do like it. I do think my favorite part is the bridge part where the, the, the guitars do like this chugging thing, like dun dun da da. Like I'm really into that, but it takes forever to get there. I feel like there's a lot of tension and building into the quiet part of the song, which I like. But part of me wishes it just kind of ended on that quiet part. Like they go back into the big chorus again. And I just feel like this whole album is just so big and loud. It would have been really cool to end on a quiet note. From Foo Archive, it says that they had demoed this song so much that they actually forgot about it. And then when it came time to choose singles, their manager was like, this one, do this one. And Dave was kind of like, really? Like, we might not have even included this. So he is the reason uh, that it's the single. And from songfacts.com, the word best is sung 40 times in this song. I have that fact too. Yeah, 40 40 times. times. And did you know that Prince performed this at the 2007 Super Bowl halftime show? I did know that, yes. I watched it. 
it's good because it's Prince, but it's very weird <laughs> because like he starts singing at like the top of his register, so he doesn't go to those high vocal notes. So it's like a little, it was a little weird, but it's Prince, so like it was great. Um, this song is not terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not terrible. You guys are cracking me up. It's just, (laughs) I find it weird that he didn't want to go with No Way Back as the first single because it sounded too much like Foo Fighters, only to release a song that is like pinnacally definitive of the Foo Foo Fighters. Fighters. (laughs) I hear you. Well, it also wasn't, I mean... I guess it was. This song is also sounds like this to me is like okay, this is what I expect out of them. But Dave's full of Dave's full of crap. I mean, (laughs) you don't don't go from well, I didn't want to release No Way Back to sound too much like the Foo Fighters to miraculously the song that you wanted to ditch that your manager had to be like, what happened to that Best of You song? Yeah, um, yeah, is your first single, right? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, a lot of stuff Dave says that I've read and that he. It's just, it's all, it's all, it exists in Dave's mind. Yeah. Like Dave's truth. That's why Mark should have been called. Dave. Yeah. Dave's truth. It makes me happy that I no longer manage musicians because <laughs> some of his quotes, I'm just like, shut the fuck up and finish the interview. Like, stop yeah. talking about that. This is one of my, this is one of my favorite Foo Fighters songs, by the way, too. I just want to put yeah. that out there. Oh, it is. Okay. Like. I, I like this song. I, I do like think it. it is a little overrated, but I do like it. I... I, I should hate Best of You. People okay. should hate Best of You. They should roll their eyes at the, like, self-aggrandizing. Yeah, yeah the cheesy rock anthem situation. Uh, yeah. First time I ever saw Foo Fighters was in 2008. It was the Echoes uh, oh, tour. Same. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And they had the runway, right? Yes. They had the run. Yeah. So I was right up against the runway with a buddy of mine, and there was a security guard who was so annoyed. This big, huge, muscular black guy who just was annoyed with the entire scene. Like mm-hmm. He was annoyed with the fans trying to lean over and touch Dave. Oh, wow. So Best of You comes on. It's the closer of the show. And this security guard sort of like comes within himself like to the side. He just starts going, the best. The best. <laughs> He's like doing the air Feeling guitar. Feeling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those 40, 40 bests he got. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the Foo Fighters like come to God moment, right? Like it's, yeah. it's Dave's Bono moment, and I, I wanted to hate it, but I've never grown sick of it. And it, if I'm, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure it's their biggest hit in terms of like charts. I don't know. I'm not sure. It might be though. It, I would believe. I that. wouldn't be surprised. I think it is. I mean, they sure as hell played the heck out of it. They did. They did. Um, but I will say this is the point in the album where, to me, everything becomes about relationships like mm-hmm. he says it's he didn't want it, to. It, it's people think it's a love song and he didn't want to say it's a love song which is weird to me because it either is or isn't you wrote it but yeah yeah it wanted to be more universal and that's why he thinks it appeals to people i think the opposite i think people like best of you because it's a love song about to me being in a relationship that where someone's taking advantage of you yeah and you can't get out of it Right, and it's really relatable, and it's just funny that he says the opposite. Like, I want it to be universal. I'm like, everybody. I think like everybody who loves this song receives it as a love song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to hear it any other way. Like, I, I don't. I mean, what? What else would it be? Like your boss taking advantage of you? Like that? Why would you want a song about that? <laughs> yeah, like, like, this the song. Quit your job, yeah. Job song. <laughs> yeah. Has this song ever been used in it like as a political campaign song? I feel like it has. A few of their songs have. Maybe. Maybe I don't have a note about it, but it's possible. Um, I mean, it's got can, that energy. Yeah, all their songs have the campaign energy. Yeah, um, they were on an episode of The West Wing, the the election episode. Yes, oh. they were. <laughs> oh yeah, they Damn, were. Love that they show. were the band that plays the Rock the Vote event. It's my favorite show. Yeah, you love that. Great, great season, and then I think like an assistant says to Bradley Whitford, I think I have his name right. Act the actor, he says it's the Foo Fighters, and the assistant's like Foo Fighters. There's no the. It was like <laughs> <laughs> that's it was so great. Yeah. I bet they they were like they they said that they're like there's no the <laughs> yeah 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 and probably added it to the so it's like the Ramones. There's no the don't don't you ever say the. I can see Dave being very upset about this. <laughs> yes, I could see that as well. <laughs> All right, track four, DOA. Okay, DOA was the second single released September fifth, two thousand five. I love the way the song starts. I think the riff and the melody are so catchy. 
Um, I'm a huge sucker for the build that they do in the pre-chorus. They, they do lots of builds and like they always get me. I just love it. I think the chorus is so upbeat musically, but not lyrically, which is my favorite juxtaposition. I think that's why I love that Paramore album After Laughter so much because it's just sad songs that are like you dance to them. Like I just love that dynamic. Yeah. A lyric that I pulled, I went down, I fell, I fell so fast, dropping like the grains in an hourglass, never say forever because nothing lasts, dancing with the bones of my buried past. I know it sounds kind of corny, but I kind of feel like he's like at his pinnacle lyric writing ability at this point. A lot of stuff he writes to me is just like random and like, I don't know what it's supposed to mean, but this I just thought was really good. I do think it's a little bit long at over four minutes, but I could honestly listen to this song all day. Like there's a groove to it that I just really, really enjoy. Yeah, I like that. It's one of my favorite Foo Fighters courses. Um, you know, it just gets stuck in your head. Ugh. Again, I think the first four songs are probably the best four or five among the four or five best songs in the album this is one of them yeah i guess i was yeah. kind of surprised it, it didn't become bigger in the like lexicon of foo fighters like they don't yeah. play it live that much yeah and again another love song that i guess i'm just i, I just remember this being so much about john Kerry, like when they talked about the album yeah but I, I just feel like it's love song after or relationship not love song but Song about a relationship. Song about a relationship. You know, come on, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, I like this song a lot. um, But the the note I had about sonically, I I was like, this song reminds me of Tenacious D. (laughs) Maybe that's why I like it so much. (laughs) I I was like, I think that is why I like it so much. Yeah. I love Tenacious D. They're great. They're so good. (laughs) Yeah, it does border on that, like, fake drama. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just the it's way very... the whole album, the way Dave sings, nothing seems, the emotion never seems, like you said, um, genuine. Gabby, I think yeah, nothing seems genuine. It doesn't seem, uh, it's like, Gabby, what you said is like, none of the emotions on this album feel all uh, organic. Yes. Mm. You know, whereas in other albums, like you could feel, even when he's screaming, I'm my hero, there's some sort yes. of heart yes. there, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that is a, a great note. And I, one of my takeaways from this album as a whole is like in the past, he's actually singing the emotions. Mm. And on this album, he's really not. Mm. But he's just screaming. He's just screaming he's just instead. Screaming. Yeah. On the acoustic, which we're not covering, but I think you guys get to this like, and that, like Abby said, it makes sense now that that's that's where the album started yeah and that side influenced the rock side where it's like they thought the rock side sucked what do you call it is his jack and coke yes uh record yeah yeah one um but you could tell because i think they did the acoustic and again i think that's what he wanted to do i think dave Grohl wanted a solo album mm. and this is a hot take why did he not write about this in the memoir <laughs> he, wanted, forgot, he wanted he wanted maybe <laughs> He doesn't say, well, he still thinks he apologized to, like, their original drummer. I know. Oh, <laughs> you know? awkward. Which he definitely did not. That was not an appropriate <laughs> apology at all. No, yes, yeah, Dave's still like, yeah, call them. We're good. Drummer's like, nah. Oh, no. the, the, yeah, the drummer's like, I'll never talk to that guy yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awkward. Awkward. Um, okay, track five. Hell. Uh, hell. My notes are too much screaming. I miss the singing. I do like the surprise of a shorter track. I thought that was kind of cool. It's not even two minutes long, but it starts at a 10 and it doesn't go anywhere. Like he is, it, it, this is the point in the album where I was like, I'm so, I don't want to say annoyed, but I felt like he had maxed out his range. Like I wasn't hearing anything interesting at this point. So this was like a downer for me. What the hell is hell? Like, yeah. I, I, the way it bleeds, like DOA bleeds into hell. It's like DOA is about, um, you know, this relationship's over. Mm-hmm. We, we, we both, you know, it's awful. We both took it. And now it's like, oh, I'm not over it. So you can join me in hell now. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, I, I, like, I like, like huh? it was, it was terrible, but now like, you know what? I'll see you in hell. It was that bad. It's like, right. no, didn't need it. So dra- it's so dramatic. It's a very dramatic song. Yeah. I wrote, did it want, did he want it to sound like every instrument is being played with a dick on this song? <laughs> Uh, I, if he didn't, he achieved it. I don't know <laughs> he if that was his goal, it. but it sounds like <laughs> it's just like heavily aggressive. Out of, out it just of like seems unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. weird. I was walking yesterday, listening to the album again, and 
the song started and ended before I realized it was playing, and I was right. like, wait, what was that song? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it sneak attacks you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also, my first go listening to it, I, I, when I was doing my notes, I was like, did I skip this song? Like, what right. happened? Right, right. <laughs> Didn't need to be there. Yeah. Okay. Track six. We're at, we're at the second half of the first half. Track six, uh, the last song. The last song. I love the concept behind this. I love the idea that someone's going to write a song and tell you, like, this is the last one I'm doing. Uh, I think most songwriters know that's not how it works. Like, you continue to write about that person or that thing over and over again. But uh, I do like the repetition in the lyrics. I think for this makes for a really fun sing-along song. I do feel like the verses are stronger melodically and musically than the choruses, which was a little bit of a bummer to me. A, a quote from Dave from Foo Archive. He says, yeah, let's give everyone something to talk about. Uh, all I've got to say is there's a whole lot of people that I love and hate far more than any of the people you know that I know. So that's his way of not telling you who the song is about. A lot of people think it's about Kurt Cobain, but we've said on several episodes, everyone thinks every song he writes is about Kurt yeah, Cobain. Yeah, I think that would be too obvious. So too. I obvious. I read that too, and I, was, I just don't think no. he would do it. I don't think so at all. And then the only other tidbit I found was Taylor Hawkins has said that this is what Breakout should have sounded like. Um, but I like Breakout, so I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't happy with it. But uh, I thought it was alright. I don't love this song. I don't think it's like a standout. So I don't know why Taylor Hawkins was like, "This is the one." I don't know. It's alright. Yeah, I thought I had several problems with this song. Not, <laughs> not really sonically. Like I didn't. I mean, musically, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Yeah. And, I, it's obvious Dave's just Dave's just fucking with people. Like yeah. know, he knows they're gonna think it's about Kurt all the and, time. Also, like you stick it right in the middle of the album, and it's called the last song. Yeah, it. But that really too was it, weird to me. I was like, "What?" He. What bothers me is I. I just. What I like is the song is really to me anyway about this is the last song I'm going to write about you. Like I just keep singing about this girl that you know messed me up. This is it. Mm-hmm. And, well, we know it's not right. Like you. Right. It's like you're in a relationship. You're like it's over. I'm done with you. But I'm going to slide in your DMs or something. Totally. <laughs> you know? Totally. Um. But it. It doesn't do what I think. It's just not memorable. It's, it's other than blog, like Reddit talking about is it about Kurt or people swearing at each yeah. other in song facts or yeah, yeah. the comment section. Oh, all the time. All <laughs> yeah. the time. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't do much for me. So. Yeah. My only note aside from I don't think it's about Kurt is okay, seriously, this isn't Tenacious D. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's this one almost takes on because it's called the last song that parody element of it. Yes, it comes, yes, yes, so yes, yes. The yeah, last song, that. dead ass in the middle. Like, come on, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. not do this. Um, <laughs> all right, track seven, free me, free me. The guitar riff of this, the opening riff, is so reminiscent of that Tom Petty song, "Running Down a Dream." If you listen okay. to them side by side, I was like, I don't know if this is like a, a dedication to him. Because I know, you know, he's a big fan of Tom Petty and everything. But I, now I can't unhear it. But it is a little bit ballsier than that. I do, again, I'm enjoying the verses more than the choruses. There is some kind of weird, like, spy sound to it. Like, if you ever listen to spy music, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Um, I like it, again, a little long. Four minutes, 38 I don't think it needed to be that long. Wait, what is spy music? Like, spy music. it's hard to explain. If you like YouTube spy music, you'll hear it and you'll be like, oh, okay. It's like, like it's dun, almost like dun. the James Bond thing. Like, bum, okay. da, 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 da. it's like that kind of vibe. <laughs> so when I listen to this, I'm like, ooh, spooky. Like, I don't really know what's happening. But other than that, like, I, I don't think I would remember it if I if I didn't play it again. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very whiny, like, yeah. uh, especially coming after the last song. This is the last song I'm going to write about you, and then clearly it's, you know, somebody free me from my own mental prison of this yes. relationship. Yes, yes. I, I thought it was, uh, you know, it was memorable. I guess this whole second half of the album to me, I define whether it's a good song or not by if I remember it exists. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember <laughs> this song exists because I think, like Kate said, lyrically he is – in good form because he just got done writing an entire acoustic album probably. And you could feel that on the verses to free me. Yeah. I, um, as I was listening to it, I swore, I was like, this has to be the song with the Queens of the Stone Age guy on it. Like this sounds like them. Ah, and I was, I'm shocked that it's not. And only, and then I kept researching. I was like, he's on the acoustic album. Like why? (laughs) 
Well, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. I also wrote, I feel like I've heard this exact same song on previous albums. Like, oh, he's done this one before. Okay. Like, it was not, it felt like another song that was on previous albums that was probably track seven, so he didn't care about it. <laughs> like, you know, like one of the ones that you're like, that why? Again. Just, yeah, just yeah. delete this one. Yeah. Yeah, right. it didn't do it for me. Track eight, Resolve. Okay, Resolve was the third single, November 21st, 2005, but I think it was only in uh, Europe. The note I had was EU. I think its placement is really great. It's a fantastic balance of singing and screaming. Overall, the song is kind of sad, but it's sweet. It is very long at almost five minutes, but I don't feel it when I'm listening to this song. And this is the one where a lot of people think this one is about Kurt Cobain. There's, and I read through, and like you can kind of pick and choose what you want. I think because it's kind of sad and sweet, I almost kind of hope that it's about him because it seems like a very nice tribute. A lot of people were picking apart the lyrics, one in particular, Swinging from the Chandeliers, because in Nirvana's Come As You Are video, Cobain does that. But Swinging from the Chandeliers is also a phrase. So, like, I don't know. It could be about someone else. And one of the best lyrics I think he writes, which is so simple, is I would never change a thing if I could. All the songs we used to sing, everything was good. And to me, that's just, like, such a nice, like... You can think of a friend, someone you used to be friends with, you would sing along with. It's just kind of like this sad, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's a really I mean, good song. It's totally about Kurt. <laughs> you think so? You think, Troy, do you yeah, think so? Like, um, I think so. I, I, it, the reference is definitely Kurt. It's, it's direct. I don't. I wouldn't say like we're splitting hairs. The song isn't necessarily about Kurt. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure is, inspired yeah, in some way. It is about like if your father died or your mother died or a sibling where sometimes you call on them. Sort yes. Of like, hey, yeah. give, me, give me some guidance. Help me. I think that's where the Kurt element comes Yeah. So the opening with the chandelier, 100%. That's the person, you know, it's about that person you lost that you used to go to for something. Yeah. But 100%. It's Kurt. Um, and then the song was just about, you know, hey, give me some guy. For some reason, <laughs> I, just, I saw uh, Top Gun Maverick, and when in the movie, okay. Tom Cruise keeps going, like, help me, Goose. Like, give me something. <laughs> right. So I kept thinking about that for some help reason. Help me, Angel of help Goose. Me. It's yeah. entirely my fault. Goose. You died. In the I, don't want to kill your, I don't want to kill your son, Goose. So tell me something so your son doesn't die, too. <laughs> and then Resolve just plays in the background. Yeah. yeah. But it is, it is, it, hey, it wasn't for Resolve. The whole back half of this first disc would suck. So I agree. With I it. agree. needed it. Yeah, I this I think this might be my favorite song on this album. Okay, and I don't know if it's like the change of pace was so necessary. Yeah, but this song actually sounds very genuine. I agree, and I love that. There's a bunch of harmonies at the end that are like the backing vocal. Yeah, that sound like the Partridge Family theme song. Oh. <laughs> Okay, go I'll back have to and go, listen. Yeah, I gotta go back. Go back and listen to it. And I was like, oh, like I used, I was a Nick at Night girl. That was my jam. <laughs> and I love the Partridge family. So immediately I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Nice. I, I hope it actually is inspired by that because that's a really funny thing that no one has picked up on. Right. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm certainly not me. <laughs> All right, track nine, The Deepest Blues Are Black. Definitely the most emo song title on this fucking album. Super emo. Uh, I Every time I listen to this song, I don't like it until the chorus comes in, and then I'm, like, super intrigued. So I really can't decide how I feel about it. I think musically it's catchy, but it's not predictable. Um, and I think the note choices are really interesting. I did go on song meanings, and in, Troy, like you were saying in the comments, because I just live in there. The drama is like amazing in there. A fan had mentioned that you can sing We Are the Champions over the chorus of this song and it kind of works. I tried doing it yesterday and it's a little bit hard. I think it's because they're written in the same key and the note progression is kind of similar. But I was just doing yard work before I jumped in with you guys and the song came on and I was hearing We Are the Champions. So now I don't know if I like the song because of that fun weird thing or if I'm starting to like the song. If only the song was We Are the Champions. I yeah. hate it so much. Um, that is a great point, Troy. Yes. Right. I, I hate the title. Um, <laughs> I hate how he keeps hammering. This is worse than Best of You. Like, you get to the end and it's just yeah. like, we get it, bro. Blue to black. We get it, man. You don't got to drive the point home. I kept thinking it, it reminded me of uh, Neil Young um, into the black. Like, hey, hey. It's like just the title like drew me there. Oh, sure. Has its own sort of connotation because that Kurt had used those lyrics like attached to his suicide. So I, I don't think oh. that was intentional or anything. Okay. What I was going to say is 
I couldn't find Dave or anybody talking about what this song is about anywhere on the internet. Me neither. It makes me wonder how much Taylor wrote of this because I actually think it's about drug use. Oh. Um, which may be why nobody's talked about it, or at least Dave has it. I, when you look at the lyrics and you get into them, I think the song's about drug use. Interesting. Because it's like emo as hell. I was reading the lyrics and I was yeah. like, this is a depression song. This is a sad, sad yeah. thing. It's like he's singing to the drug. Wow. Uh, heroin or, or whatever, if you really look at it, um, you know, asking it to make... First, you think it's about a girl, of course, or sure. you know, a guy, whoever you're dating, and um, but it, you know, I think it's about drugs. And, and wow. I thought I read somewhere that Taylor had worked with Dave on lyrics for some of these songs. But he did. Yeah, he's credited as the lyricist on some of the acoustic songs. Yeah, okay. I was thinking that too. But yeah. maybe he, but maybe some of that like bled over. You know, totally. I don't know. And I, I think sometimes in the Foo Fighters case, they evenly split their writing credits. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, you know, that information isn't as overt usually, but I, I could definitely see that. Mm. I liked it. My note is it's really weird for me to like the outro back half part of an album, but here we are. Like I, I so far have liked the song before in this one. Yeah. I had an, the, it like starts off really slow and I thought it was going to stay there. Yeah. So I was very surprised when it got like very loud. Um, mm-hmm. So that build up, that momentum worked for me sure i was like oh that's unexpected in like a good way yeah but yeah just very very emotional and i feel like if you're gonna go emo i want to hear an emo song like just do it with your whole heart yeah yeah just yeah don't half-ass it just fucking go. Right. <laughs> death cab for cutie or death yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go let's go taking back sunday on, on yeah a why Ooh. not yeah, why scream. not they scream yeah <laughs> totally that's what you're doing dave we fucking know <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one, track 10, end over end. All right, I love his voice in the first verse of this song. There's no double. He's not screaming. It sounds super vulnerable and different. I think Nate's uh, bass line is super badass on the verse. I've mentioned him a lot in previous albums. This one, he didn't stand out so much, but on this song, he does. I enjoy the repetitive chorus. Again, I feel like it's a fun sing-along song. I think it's a great outro song, and a note I found is that the very first track starts with about 30 seconds of like ambient noise, one note, and this song ends with about 40 seconds of ambient noise one note which I thought was kind of a nice bookend Mm -hmm. and then the lyric that I picked was I'm feeling out of luck maybe I just feel too much that old familiar touch will always sting my skin so I just thought that was really interesting I think it's a great closer Uh, I ended up liking this more and more the more I listened to it the song I thought it was you know typical Foo Fighters I thought it was a good way to close the album when you watch the documentary then when you listen to this song because the song I think is about sort of uh the band like kind of going through the first chapter of the band Mm -hmm. having those bumps and bruises and finding a way to continue on um pretty generic dave song i feel like. like yeah yeah you know but it's good it's a good closer it's rocking it's not over the top um if only that was it but we're not going to talk about the acoustic right (laughs) (laughs) rather change a poopy diaper than listen to a foo fighters (laughs) yeah i think that it's very ballsy this album to start this way in such a bad way and think that people are actually going to at the time open the cd case and take out the second disc and right Just really, I, I I was grateful for a closing track that wasn't seven minutes long, which I feel like the past couple yes. albums, that's been what they do. That's very true. I fucking hate it. Yeah. I just hate that. So that alone for me is a huge win, but the song is incredibly boring to me and it didn't do it for me. Oh, like okay. The momentum is a closer, like cool, great. I get it. But I just, I feel like this album had no heart. Oh, Wow. Except for best of you, right? Except for best of you, yeah. obviously. <laughs> too much, too much heart. Too much too, heart. Best of yeah. you had too much heart, and so it came off disingenuous. Like I, honestly, like I'm not surprised this album did not win any fucking Grammys. It was yeah. Just, uh, it was nominated because it's the Foo Fighters, and they released an album, and they're so great. But and uh, and who else is releasing win. rock albums? Honestly, uh, in 2005, yeah. not a lot of people right, aside right. from like some 41 who yeah. is never going to get right. <laughs> right. for a Grammy. Right. I agree with that, though. I agree. It, nothing nothing outstanding. Nothing outstanding. No. Should we do favorite, least favorite, and underdog songs? Sure, 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 sure. Do you want me to start? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So my favorite song is DOA. 
I don't think it's necessarily the best crafted song, but it's the one I want to listen to the most. Like, I just really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Love it. Least favorite is Hell. I don't even really consider that a song. I don't really know what was happening there. Didn't I don't want to hear that again. Underdog... I think I was going to put Resolve, but I think Resolve is just such a good song that I hadn't really heard. So I can't say that it's an underdog or an honorable mention for me. I'm going to go with End Over End because for me, I didn't love it at first, but the more I hear it, it's like growing on me. So I think that's my underdog. Okay. Troy, how about you? Um, You know, I, I hate to do it, but my favorite song is Best of You. I just think I was a junior. We know. We it heard. This, you know, this summer... <laughs> the best no it's the summer of uh it's the best no it, it, it was like the summer before my senior year of college and uh and i was made i was the general manager of a alternative rock radio station at oh, college nice. so cool everything was the best of you it was uh, the best of times thanks to yes and, yeah. um, so that that's my favorite song okay um I would say my least favorite is uh, The Deepest Blues Are Black. I just hate that fucking title. Like, yes. I had, ugh. And then he has that, it's toward the end where he's like, blah, like he says black, but it's just blah. Like, yeah, yeah. Long, <laughs> he does, um, yeah. Underdog to me is Dio, and I know it was a single, but I just was, I'm really surprised that that didn't become like a staple like mm, I, don't want, yeah. I don't want to compare it to all my life or monkey wrench or something right. that they play all time but i thought it would just sit in the pocket of their live shows forever and it just hasn't i agree yeah i totally agree with you there my best song is resolve okay i i really enjoyed like the where that came in first of all on the track listing during the listening experience because the first half of the album to me was very frustrating <laughs> Okay, okay. My honorable is No Way Back. Uh, I do agree that the first four tracks on this album are probably all around the strongest. I agree. Um, and I, li- I like No Way Back a lot. And for worst, I wrote literally everything else. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Gabby's harsh. Gabby's harsh. <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it's, there's something about Foo Fighters that is annoying. Like, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. That it, they're not like, I don't know how to describe it. Like they're not a cock rock band, right? But no, only, but only because like the music's good enough. Like I don't, I don't. Interesting. Know no, I, I, I kind of, <laughs> I get what you're saying. They're not a cock rock band because Dave is like the boy next door, and that's not mm. what you associate with a cock rock band, right? But they are a cock rock. Like they actually are. And the other thing too is Foo Fighters. To me, they don't have a. They'll have a classic album. Like, I wouldn't... Like, I got this argument with my wife all the time. Like, better... I don't know why we go here, but there's better band, <laughs> Foo Fighters or Pearl Jam. I mean, we don't bring Nirvana into the mix because you don't fuck with Nirvana. But right. Like, yeah. I Ooh, Pearl, I don't know. I, I say Pearl Jam and she says Foo Fighters because she hates Eddie Vedder and his voice. Um, What's wrong with her? Okay. <laughs> no, no judgment. Like, no judgment. <laughs> Pearl Jam's got 10. Oh. got, like... Yeah. And, something authentic about Eddie. Even when he's like, even when you think he's pretentious and over the top, Dave is like the guy next door, but it's almost like he's got a little douchebag. He does have a little, (laughs) in the interviews I've watched for, for this, what we're doing with the podcast, there are moments where I'm like, Oh, that's not cool at all. Like that's not nice at all. Yeah. I think that comes along with the territory though, of being a famous person. Well, I was going to say too, Gabby, when it was like, why would he say that? He sounds so douchey. The man is doing interviews constantly. I'm sure yeah. he's running out of shit to say, or for a moment he's like actually honest, and then he's like, oops, like I just said that. It's you know Im- what I mean? It's impossible to not be egotistical, like when you're in this position and you're this popular. As much as I love Dave Grohl, and as much as I think he is so nice, and I love his mother, and she raised such yes. a good boy, <laughs> but like he's still a douchey celebrity. Right. They're all this way. The difference with him is he wants to be liked. Like, he yeah, yes. with wanting to be liked. Yes. Like, you know, I'll just say Eddie better because Eddie don't give a shit. Yeah, he doesn't like care. <laughs> but Dave does things like, I saw Foo Fighters in 2015. Um, they played Dave's native Warren, Ohio, where he was born and raised. Mm-hmm. And they played at a record store no one's ever heard of. Um, mm-hmm. And you had to be there to buy tickets. And max capacity was 100 people. Mm. Wow. It was record store day. And they were the record store day ambassadors. I called the public. So like, I want to come down to this show. And they're like, we can get you in. So I drove down to Warren. Ooh. Go in. It's me and 99 other people there to see Foo Fighters who come out. And they put on this full hour. I was like, I wow. thought it would be like 20 minutes. Right. 
And I'm like, this is such a Dave Grohl thing to do because he's a good dude and he and he's bringing it back home. And yeah. Doing this at this shitty record store. Right, <laughs> right. <you> know, <laughs> the middle of nowhere. Um, but, you know, and it was an amazing show. And, I, you know, I don't think Pearl Jam would do that. No, so, no, no, no. They would uh, never. They would never. Dave wants to be liked and he radiates with it. It's why he can't own the douchey stuff he does. Maybe. Or says like, right, the, like kick it, like play it over his original drummer's parts, like re-recording them. Oh <laughs> man, for the better. Bad. But he just couldn't own it. Like, that, yeah. That's and that's what I in that episode. I'm like, if you just had an honest conversation, oh. that absolves a lot of it. You know what I mean? Everybody but knows you're a better drummer, Dave. You better the guy, than everybody in your well, he knows. The other drummer knows. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's like, oh, the way he okay. went about it, not not good. Anyway. Wow. Is that in the memoir? Gabby, is that in the memoir? Like, does he touch on that at all? He talks about, he briefly mentions it. That like, oh, and then I went and I re-recorded the parts because I didn't like it. Anyway, moving on. Like, there was no acknowledgement that it was a douchebag thing or that they had like a bad separation. Yeah. He just like re-recorded it. He glosses over it. We move. Yes. Yes. And I, but I think part, like so, so many parts of the memoir are like very honest, but I think like, He's not he's not good at owning his shit and isn't great at saying like, oh, I really fucked that up. Yeah, I yeah, agree. This came up again. I, I was covering them getting inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame here in Cleveland last mm. year. Mm. So it came up again where, you know, because you start talking about which band members are going to be inducted. And obviously, yeah. they're, you know, they're not inducting their original drummer. Right. Um, but Dave fielded a few questions about it. So it was, it was interesting. And I think his book came out. Right after they oh, yeah. got inducted, right? Like, oh, okay. Like, voted in. Yeah. It's good timing. Yeah. Yeah. Way yeah, good timing. Sure. Well, Troy, thanks so much for, for doing this. We really appreciated it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. You're so insightful. This was great. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. I, I listened to that album a lot that summer because I was driving back and forth to college to help with the freshman orientation. So it really brought me back to a place uh, that I forgot. So, and it's not obviously as we've decided, it's not the Foo Fighters album. I go back and listen to Right. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't yeah. really listened to it in a while. So give you yeah, a reason, yeah. give you a reason. Yeah. A little reminiscing, <laughs> a little reminiscing. All right, y'all. Well, all right. Wrap. Um, and I guess Kate will figure out when we tackle this acoustic. <laughs> yeah. That'll be episode. The next episode. I got to figure this yeah. out now. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Thanks to the band Above the Moon for writing and recording our theme song. You can find them on Instagram at Above the Moon Music or on their website, AboveTheMoonMusic.com. If you enjoyed listening, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you really enjoyed listening, leave us a like, rate us, or review us so more people can find us. You can keep up with news about new episodes on Instagram at Minor Notes Podcast or email us, MinorNotesPodcast at gmail.com. Minor Notes is a finally cool production. Next episode, we'll be discussing In Your Honor Disc 2 with Errol Arney, who's the host of the blog Errol's Weekly Music Update. Three.